Welcome here, everybody. And for those of you who are new here, I'm uh, Chris Dirksen. I'm the main teaching pastor here at Southland. Though I haven't been up uh, for about a month now. I've been uh, doing a lot of writing, lots of material for the End Times course, which I've been uh, teaching last month. And uh, actually, I wasn't supposed to be preaching yet today. I was supposed to start again uh, next week because yesterday was the last week of the course. But Pastor Ray got really, really uh, sick. And so we're going to pray for him in just a moment. But he got very, very sick. And so uh, Friday afternoon, about three o'clock, uh, I, I was in contact with mom and and she said, no, he's not going to make it. And so I went to the prayer room and said, oh, Jesus, okay, we're going to need, uh, we're going to need a message. And uh, so here we are, and it's all about him anyway, so that part is, is easy. But uh, let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into this thing. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord Jesus, I want to just, uh, first of all, I want to pray for Pastor Ray. And he's been very sick these last uh, few days. And we just pray that you would heal him quickly, and that you would give him rest, and that you would restore his body to health so that he can continue to lead here at the church. Lord Jesus, we just offer you this time now and this message. I have not had as much time to prep as usual, but that really doesn't matter to you at all. And it's all about you and not me anyway. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would move powerfully in our hearts this morning and that you would give us, by the end of this message, Lord Jesus, that you would open by your power, that you would open our eyes to see how amazing Jesus is and how much he has saved us from. In your name we pray, amen. So it's Palm, and, and as I was praying on uh, late Friday afternoon, and, and then uh, yesterday afternoon again after the course was uh, uh, finished, I said, I mean, it's, it's Palm Sunday, it's Easter, and it's the time of the year we need to talk about the cross, right? And every year in, in uh, churches uh, all over the world, uh, right at this time, you know, now, and Good Friday, and, and by the way, don't forget the, the prayer summit this, this Friday morning on Good Friday, but, uh, and on, on Easter Sunday, we talk about Jesus' death on the cross and, we sit, and the resurrection, and we sing songs about it, and uh, we do all that stuff. Now, one of the things, though, that I've, that I've noticed, and all of us, and I struggle with this from, from uh, year to year, and I think about this, um, but it's almost like, uh, you know, you hear so much about the cross, and we talk about the cross so much, and we know in our heads that, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for me, and we know in our heads that we should really feel some appreciation for that. Like we know in our heads that that was a really amazing event somehow and that somehow it really uh, was awesome and how much he loved us. But inside our hearts, I wonder if we feel the gratitude. I think many of us sometimes feel guilty actually because we don't feel the gratitude we know that we should. Isn't that true? Like we know in our heads that Jesus did something really amazing for us on the cross, but we don't, and, and we know it should just, you know, sweep us away with love and gratitude, and yet in our hearts, isn't it true that we sometimes get a little bored, if we will admit it, that we get a little bored with the cross? Uh, it almost becomes like a cliche. I remember when I was a kid, uh, you know, whenever I ran out of things to pray for, if it was family devotions or mealtime or whatever, and you know, if you got stumped, what do you pray for? The thing that was always, I would just blurt out is, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins, right? And I mean, my kids do it now. But it just almost becomes this thing. We just, we know it. It's in our head. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But we don't feel the, the, we don't feel it. We don't feel the gratitude we know we should. And so the question is, why? Why do we not feel what we should? We know this is a stupendous event in our heads. Why do we not always feel a gratitude that fits with that? And uh, there's probably, you know, a bunch of reasons. I'm sure there are a bunch of reasons for it. But I think the kind of, some of the big ones I want to tackle here today, there's, there's two that go hand in hand, is, is we don't realize, first of all, how bad off we are without Jesus. And second of all, we don't, we don't realize how amazing he is. So we don't, 
we don't see the gap. We don't see what he covered. When he died on the cross for our sins, we don't see the gap of how much he was saving us from, and we don't see how holy and awesome he is, and as a result of that, we can't grasp in our hearts the level of what he really did for us. And, and let, so let me just use a little uh, illustration uh, for you just to kind of help you see this. If I, you know, imagine that at the end of uh, at this message, you know, I walk down off the steps off the stage here. When I get to the bottom step, let's say uh, for whatever reason I trip or something on the bottom step and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall on the bottom step. And let's just say, for whatever, let's just use Ray Yoder. Okay, he's been up here a bunch recently and, and he's easy to make fun of um, being, you know, the shortest person here at Southland or somewhere in there. But, but um, uh, so anyway, let's say I trip off the bottom step and Ray Yoder happens to be there and let's, you know, just assume that he, he would be able to help me in this case, but let's assume he's able to grab my arm and keep me from falling, okay? Now, what has he just saved me from? He's probably saved me from kind of jarring my legs, hitting the ground. Maybe I would fall and bump my knee, right? So how am I going to respond to Ray Yoder reaching out and catching my arm from the bottom step? Well, I'm probably going to say, I mean, politely, I'll probably say, oh, thanks, Ray, okay? I'm probably not going to fall down at his feet and hug his legs, heaven forbid, um, and, and, and just weep, oh, Ray, you're so good to me. I'm, I'm probably not going to do that, okay? I mean, he helped me, but he didn't help me that much. I mean, he stopped me from falling about this far, right? I'm probably not going to remember it 10 years from now. I'm probably not going to write him, you know, on the anniversary of him grabbing my arm. I'm probably not going to write him a card every year. Thank you for that, okay? Why? Because he didn't save, he saved me from this much, so I'm going to say thanks. Thanks, Ray. I'm going to say, I'm going to feel gratitude to the level of what he saved me from. Isn't that true? I'm going to feel level to the, grati- to the level of gratitude is the level of what he saved me from. Now, let's imagine I'm in a burning building and me and my kids and there's nowhere to go and Ray Yoder bursts through the wall, you know, and, and <laughs> grabs my kids, jumps out the window, breaks both his legs, crawls back up the, the, the stairs and rescues me out of that. Um, what am I going to do after that? I'm going to be a lot more thankful. I'm going to say more than thanks, okay? We're going to, I mean, we're going to visit him in the hospital, I bet. We're going to remember that for years afterwards, right? I'll talk to my kids. You know, the only reason we're able to be on this vacation today is because Ray Yoder just about gave his life for us, right? And, and that, but again, the reason is totally different. Totally different feelings of gratitude because of how much we were saved from. So if he just saves me from a little bump off the bottom step, thanks, Ray. If he saved our lives and our family, much bigger thanks. And the same, exact same thing is true of your gratitude, your feelings of appreciation for Jesus, your appreciation for the cross is completely limited. You will not be more grateful for the cross than what you, how big you see Jesus saved you from. Okay? And so many of us, we have this idea, we know in our heads God, you know, I was on, we know in our heads, I was on my way to hell, I was sinful, thankfully Jesus saved me. We know in our heads the right answers. We know in our head, God is holy, we're sinful, Jesus on the cross, so thank you Jesus so much for that. But the fact that we just say thanks, and there's no overwhelming appreciation that wells up in us, shows us that in our hearts, we have no concept. In our hearts, we have a concept of, he saved us this much, like, we're mostly pretty good people. In our heads, we would never say that. But in our hearts, this is how we feel. We were mostly pretty good people, and he just sort of saved us the rest of the way up. And so it's a direct result. 
Your heart of gratitude to Jesus and the amount of passion you feel for him and appreciation for the cross directly tied, directly exposes our hearts, directly exposes our hearts to see how big is the gap that we see, that we think is there that Jesus saved us from. And you know, Jesus himself taught this very thing. I want to read you a story from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 47. Okay? The level of gratitude I feel is directly correlated to what I've been saved from. And so what I perceive Jesus to have saved me from, that's the level of gratitude I will feel towards him. Verse 36 here in chapter 7, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that she was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him, or said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. He who is forgiven little, loves little. Now, what does that mean? I mean, because we, we can take this one of two ways, and I'll tell you how I read this passage many times when I was younger. He who is forgiven little, loves little. One of the ways we can just take this is that, you know, Simon is a mostly good guy, so he doesn't have a great testimony. I mean, he wasn't into drugs. He wasn't way out there living this horrible life of addictions and abuse and hatred. And so, because he's been forgiven little, he loves little. And how many of us read this story is that it's sort of like if you're one of those good people that doesn't have the really crazy, amazing testimony, then, then you don't have much to be passionate about. And this is sort of how I felt for years when I was younger. It's sort of like, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I had like, I've got like the typical, most boring testimony you could have. Grew up in a Christian home, never strayed away, loved going to youth group, uh, you know, just grew up, always believed the Bible, never, I mean, you do, you do bad stuff, but never really, the really bad stuff that makes the testimonies interesting. And so then you think, well, all of us with a boring testimony, all of us with a boring testimony are just doomed to love Jesus little. We don't have much passion because we've been forgiven little. But then people like my younger brother and other people like that, he shared his testimony here many times before, but, you know, where they go way off the rails and they do really bad stuff, and they go to these really dark places where, I mean, their life is just absolute chaos and darkness, and it's hellish. And then Jesus saves them out of that, and they have these glorious testimonies, and then they're just on fire for Jesus, and you think, well, that totally applies because they've been forgiven much. They love much. 
And that's how we kind of take this parable. And so we kind of have this idea almost like Jesus is patting Simon on the back. You've got this woman who's hugging his feet and loving him and doing all this sort of stuff. And Jesus is just sort of patting Simon's back. Well, of course, she's passionate for me. She's done so much bad stuff that I've forgiven her. But don't worry about it, Simon. You're not that passionate for me because I haven't had to forgive you of that much stuff. Totally not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not congratulating Simon here. You love little because you've been forgiven little. I haven't done much for you. He's condemning Simon here. He's condemning Simon because the truth of the matter is Simon and this woman both need Jesus exactly the same amount. Do you believe that? They both need Jesus exactly the same amount. So Jesus is not commending Simon because, hey, you don't have to love me as much because I, I haven't had to do as much for you. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is condemning Simon because Simon can't see that he needs Jesus that much. He's condemning Simon because Simon thinks, I'm just kind of tripping off the bottom step. I'm one of these religious people. I just need a little boost from Jesus. Like, even without Jesus, I'm okay. I mostly live a good life. I don't have to think about him that much or depend on him from day to day. I'm mostly okay. I just kind of need Jesus to give me that little boost, that little spiritual boost. But this woman, she feels like she's in a burning building. And she, so she's got a desperation and appreciation for Jesus. But what Simon doesn't realize and what Jesus is co- condemning Simon for here is, is, is that actually, Simon, you're both in a burning building. You just don't get it. And so he who forgives little loves little. Now the problem is, as Christians, of course, we read all these stories of the religious leaders in the Gospels, and we just automatically kind of go, you know, oh, those Pharisees and religious leaders, right? We never put ourselves in those shoes, right? Because we're Christians. So we're different than the Pharisees, because there's the Pharisees and we're the Christians. So we always put ourselves in the disciples' shoes automatically, never thinking to read ourselves possibly into the Pharisees' shoes. So can I, I just want to take a short rabbit trail. I'm going to take two minutes here. I want to give you a hint to help you read the Gospels better. I don't mean a hint to help you read the Gospels so you enjoy them more. I mean actually help you read the Gospels the way Jesus wants you to read them so that he can convict you more, okay? But we read the Gospels often, and we just read them as interesting stories, and we generally tend to subconsciously put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, not in the Pharisees' shoes. But these stories were not just put here. I mean, it's fine to read them and enjoy the stories. But these stories, stories like this one with Simon and the woman, it wasn't just put there as a neat story so that we could see, oh, Jesus loves this woman and, and Simon, you know, loves very little because he doesn't know how much he's been forgiven over that he needs to be forgiven of. We just sort of read them as interesting stories and then we move on to the next one. That is not why the stories are in the Gospels. The main reason why the stories are in the Gospels is as you're reading through these stories, What is supposed to happen after every story and every parable is you are, by the power of the Holy Spirit, supposed to ask yourself and put yourself in that story. That story is supposed to put a stop on you, and you are supposed to ask yourself, which one am I? That's what we're supposed to do with these stories. That's that's what's going to change your life. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do with you in the Gospels. When you read these stories, you don't just read through them and go, that was a neat story, on to the next one. These stories should stop us by the power of the Holy Spirit and force us to this crossroads, which one am I? So for example, I mean the famous story, the the story of the prodigal son, famous story, everybody knows that one, right? Um, You know, we just sort of read that one. Oh, it's neat. We learned something neat about Jesus. He forgives prodigals. 
Well, amen, that's something we learn out of that story. But the Holy Spirit wants to do way more for you in that story and in all the other parables and stories than just teach you a little truth about Jesus. When you read stories like the prodigal son, you should be stopped at the end of that story and with the Holy Spirit, you ask yourself, which one am I? Am I the prodigal or am I the older son? And sometimes maybe even the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you and say, maybe you're supposed to be the father to another prodigal. But whatever it is, each of these parables and stories should stop us, which one am I? So when we read Luke chapter seven, we don't learn disconnected truths from Simon and this woman. We enter into the story and we say, this story by the power of the Holy Spirit is supposed to confront us and force us to answer the question, am I Simon or am I the woman? Okay, am I Simon or am I the woman? Now again, as Christians, we always automatically assume we're not the Pharisees, but the fact of the matter is, our actions expose what our hearts are. It's not the doctrine. We think, well, I'm not a Pharisee because I believe different doctrines than the Pharisees did. That's not what Jesus is testing. He's not testing Simon's doctrine here. He's testing Simon's heart. And the question is, do you have Simon's heart or do you have the woman's heart? And what shows what our heart is? We just always assume, I'm the good guy in the story. I'm the disciples or I'm the other one. And Jesus says, actually, your actions expose what your heart response is to Jesus. And so Jesus identifies, he specifically mentions three actions of Simon's and points out and says, your actions or your lack of actions here expose your heart. And so we read verses 44 to 47 again, we see this. Then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Jesus is not condemning. Simon, you know, he, Simon's not in trouble here because he's doing quote unquote bad things, is he? This is a guy, he's got all his religious I's dotted and his religious T's crossed. He's got the right belief system. I mean, he believes in the Bible, what he has to that point. He believes in God. Certainly, you would ask him any question. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in the God of Israel, Yahweh? Certainly. Does he go to the temple? No doubt. Does he tithe and give and serve? No doubt. This guy does all of that. He'll be spotless. And so he looks, what a fine, nice man. And he was nice in all of his business dealings. He's nice and he's godly and he's wise and he's this wonderful guy. And he, Jesus comes into his, into his house and here's this guy that looks so good to everybody else. He's the perfect Christian and he's got all the right beliefs, and he always goes to church. And Jesus says, and there isn't a stitch of passionate love in you. The creator of the universe walks into your house, and you don't bring water for his feet. You don't fall down at his feet and grab on and just hug him and worship him because you're just so blown away that the creator of the universe would come into your house. Simon's heart is being exposed here as hopelessly wicked and hard towards God, though he looks good on the outside. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. She's got the bad history. Everybody thinks she's a, a big problem case, but her heart is being exposed here too. Her heart is being exposed as being soft and true towards Jesus. You gave me no kiss, no passionate love or worship, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, okay, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. I want you to notice here, her sins were forgiven. Why? 
Her sins were forgiven because she had the right beliefs in her head. Her sins were, were forgiven, why? Because she loved much. She had, her heart was soft to Jesus. She had a proper understanding of, I am extremely wicked without Jesus and he is extremely holy and amazing. I'm in a burning building and I need saving and he's the only one that can do it. And her heart, that's a saved heart. It's got that perspective of who she is, who Jesus is, and out of that wells up this deep gratitude and love for Jesus and she worships him. Meanwhile, him, he's got the religion. And he, he's got the game. He does all the stuff. And everybody would look at him and say, he's the good one. He's the one that's right with God. And he's the one who, when God comes in the room, he just goes, eh. Eh. It's no big one. You say, are you saying it doesn't matter what we believe about Jesus? Like, are you saying, Chris, a doctrine doesn't matter? Like, you, you can just believe whatever you want as long as you have passionate feelings for Jesus. It doesn't matter if you have right doctrine. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, what I'm saying is much deeper than that. Here's what I'm saying. If your beliefs don't impact your heart, then your beliefs aren't right. That's what I'm saying. See, it's not that Simon had the right beliefs and she had the wrong beliefs, but at least she had a heart for Jesus. That's not what's happening here. She has the right heart for Jesus because she believes correctly about Jesus. She believes that she's completely depraved and helpless without him. And she believes that he loves her and that he is holy and only he can save her. And that's why her heart wells up in gratitude and appreciation. He believes some statements about Yahweh and the God of Israel, but in his heart, he does not believe that he is all that sinful. He does not believe that he needs Jesus that much. And so her beliefs are proven to be right by her response to Jesus. And so many of us Christians today, we have statements in our heads. Did Jesus die on the cross for your sins? Check. Yeah, I totally believe that. Do you believe blah, blah, blah. And you just go online and you can check it off. But here's the thing. You can check off all the statements in your head you want. But if those statements don't impact your heart, don't impact your heart to cause you to be moved towards Jesus when you're in the presence of Jesus, to be grateful to him for what he's done, then you are not believing correctly about who you are and who he is. One of, the, one of our problems is that we do not believe rightly about how wicked we each are apart from Jesus. And so ultimately our hearts show that for many of us, we think we're tripping off the bottom step and that's what Jesus died on the cross for. That's what we think. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Yep, true statement, I believe it. But what we really believe in our heads is he saved us from falling off the bottom step, not he saved me out of a burning building. And one of the reasons we think this, the first reason is we don't see how wicked we are. Most of us have almost no concept of how depraved and wicked each one of us is apart from Jesus. And there's many reasons for this. Part of it is just spiritual blindness. Part of the reason is that circumstances often have the effect of masking how wicked we really are, each one of us. Uh, like for example, little, just a little example. Uh, I used to not think I was selfish at all until I got married. Isn't that true? Okay. One woman's laughing. She knows her husband. Um, <laughs> selfish guy. I totally didn't think I was selfish until I got married. I didn't. Why? Because as long as I could do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, it was never confronted with my selfishness. I mean, I remember being a young adult. I remember being 20 years old. I was involved with a college career here at church. I was at prayer meetings all the time. And I could, but I was single, so I could do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. 
And I just thought I was gloriously godly. And if you would ask me, are you selfish? I probably would have given some pious answer. Oh, by God's grace, I'm overcoming that. But inside, of, I'm not selfish. And then I got married. And all of a sudden, I couldn't do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. And suddenly, this, these selfish feelings. I remember one, one thing that came to my mind early this morning as, as I was uh, praying about this. And it's so pathetic, okay? It's just so pathetic. But I remember a couple years into our marriage, uh, you know, on, my, on our day off, LaDawn would want to, like, let's do a little bit of the housework, and could you help me with the housework? So I'd help her vacuum, and I would get grouchy and grumpy on her days off, because here I am, on my day off, I have to vacuum? Like, didn't I get married so she would do the vacuuming, right? <laughs> like, isn't that why we got married? Yeah, but anyway, um, it doesn't work. Don't boo, don't bother booing. I have to vacuum. I'm, I'm totally whipped, okay? <laughs> so... I talk a big talk, but she, as soon as she's in the room, I'm, I'm not the boss. But anyway, um, <laughs> here I'm vacuuming, and I'm grouchy. I mean, it's just pathetic. I look back, it's so childish. Now, I wasn't grouchy when I was single on my days off because I didn't have to vacuum, right? Okay? But that selfishness was there the whole time. It's just that circumstances masked it. Isn't that true? And so you feel like you're doing great. I mean, and then I had four kids yet, and that unmasked some more things in me, okay? And I remember I used to think, too, I used to wonder about people at church who struggle and really hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. And I would just think, like, just let go of it already. And I always thought of myself as a person, I, I, you know, and, and I wouldn't have said it, but subconsciously you pride yourself. I'm not a person that hangs on to stuff, right? That's not me. Most people, they just have a struggle with bitterness and resentment. I'm not a person that hangs on to stuff. And then one day I realized, you know why I don't hang on to stuff? I've got nothing to hang on to. The only reason I'm not bitter or resentful is because I grew up in a happy, healthy home. And God started to send people in my life every once in a while who would really criticize me or drive me crazy, and suddenly I had the bitterness and the resentment and the anger and not loving my enemies. And God goes, see, you thought you were all good with the loving. You thought you were a pretty good person, like Jesus died on the cross for me because I have a few little problems like you know, every once in a while, maybe a sinful thought comes to my mind. And so he died to just sort of snuff out that last little bit of badness that was in me. And we don't realize that we are utterly depraved. And oftentimes it's nothing more than our circumstances that are hiding the depravity that lies inside of us. That is hiding the depravity inside. And so lots of us, you know, lots of us can make a pretty good show without having much of a relationship with Jesus. Let's just be honest about it. I mean, if we really pried into your heart, we'd find some ugly stuff. But just as a general rule on the outside, lots of people make a pretty decent show on the outside. Again, if you, if you went underneath the surface and looked underneath, you'd find some ugly stuff. But many of us can make a pretty good show, which is good enough for everybody else and good enough for deceiving ourselves since we pretty much believe about ourselves what we want to. And so many, many Christians in our culture, the economy's doing fine. You have a job that pays decently, pays the bills. Maybe you have a wife that your personalities are just automatically good together and so you've just always sort of gotten along and you have no major health problems and so you wonder why everybody else isn't as happy as you. And you want to give advice about how to be a joyful person. Well, sure, it's easy to be generous when you have lots of money, isn't it? It's easy to be happy when you're healthy. It's easy to be all these things and lots of Christians, it's just totally masked. It's like a guy, he's got an, you know, in his, he's driving along in his pickup truck and he's, and he's got a bathtub full of, of, 
and just forgive me, because it's very early this morning, this message is last minute, but a bathtub full of liquid manure, okay? I didn't know how else to think about it. But let's imagine, and it's just filled to the top, okay? And he's flying along a highway, not anywhere here in Manitoba, because we don't have such, but a highway that's perfectly smooth and nice, okay? <laughs> and so as long as he's going along a highway that is smooth and nice, he looks in his rearview mirror and he feels good about how clean his truck is. And he's just like, wow, what a nice truck. And he looks down at all the trucks that are turning onto the highway off of the gravel roads, okay? But meanwhile, this guy's got this big vat of stuff in, his, in the back of his truck. Now, the moment there's a detour on that highway, he's going to be in trouble, isn't he? Because the moment he has to turn onto a gravel road, that stuff's going to slop all over his truck, okay? But here's the thing. That stuff was there all along. That stuff was there all along, and God could see it there all along. It just wasn't spilling out because he wasn't on a bumpy road. And many of us completely deceive ourselves because we live in a country where things are mostly going good. I mean, we grew up in a mostly healthy home, and we have many mostly good things happening in our lives, and so as a result, we think we're pretty good. And so we think when it comes to the cross... We have no outpouring of emotion. We don't grab onto Jesus' feet. We don't appreciate him. We don't throw our hands to him in extravagant worship because why would we? It's like Ray Yoder just grabbing my arm off the bottom step. He, he saved us from a bit. We would never say it. In our minds, we know that answer is wrong, but in our hearts, we show it. Simon showed where his heart was by the lack of an expression of love and gratitude to Jesus. And we show what we really believe about our hearts and about Jesus with how we act. You know, speaking of depravity, uh, so important, you know, uh, to, on, a, on a massive scale. If you think about, for example, because you have to see the depravity of each of our hearts. You have to feel this in your own life. Before you feel the depravity of your own life apart from Jesus, you will never be able to depend on Jesus daily. I mean, the fact, you know, people, some people, you, you know, you tell people all the time, you got to talk to Jesus daily. You got you to depend on him daily. You'll never depend on him daily if you don't think you need him. I mean, we reveal what our heart beliefs really are. In our heads, we would say, I need Jesus every day. In our hearts, we show by rarely talking to him in some cases that we don't actually believe that. Because if you believed you needed Jesus every day, you would call out to him every day out of that sense of need. So we don't have a sense of our depravity. If you had a sense of who you really were and the wickedness that was there in the right circumstances that you could actually do some pretty terrible things, when you begin to realize that, you start to throw yourself at Jesus' feet more regularly. But you think of, you know, you go back to, to in history just a little bit, you go to World War II and you see this tiny period of time, this few years and, and the Holocaust and what happened there in Germany and you see millions of people in, in Germany, these German people, going along with the Nazi party, and many, many, many of them doing absolutely awful things that they will be accountable to God for on Judgment Day. And the question needs to be asked, like, what was going on there? I mean, did a whole batch of bad people just get born all at the same time? Like, is that what happened in Germany in World War II? Like, it just... It was mostly decent people, and then all of a sudden there was one batch of really bad ones, and then after that it wasn't bad. No, they were, they were normal people. Do you know that? Those are normal people. Do you think that those German people in World War II were somehow on a national scale, there was some kind of genetic defect, that they were morally inferior to regular Canadians today? You think that? Not a chance. 
You put some of those Germans from World War II and some of us Canadians together today, you put them side by side, they're the same. They're human beings. You say, well, what happened in World War II? I'll tell you what happened. You have a combination of things. Of course, many things, spiritual things as well. But just on a simplified scale, you've got an evil leader and you've got the right circumstances come along. And what happens is regular people, not especially evil people, but regular people get drawn into this thing, showing that all of us as regular people actually have an incredible depth of wickedness inside of us that they could end up doing that on such a scale. And we're not so different from them. Well, hopefully those of us who walk with Jesus are. But you want to, there is no difference between as a whole, the can't, you know, the nation of Canada today, and Germany back then, and if you had the right leader and the right circumstances, you would see regular Canadians doing some awful, awful things too. Why? That's the depravity of the human heart. It's just that it's hidden by civilized society most of the time. Every once in a while, it pops out, and you see how bad people really are. And we are people. We have depravity deep, deep in the members of our bodies. And we'll talk a little bit about that hopefully next week as well in the Easter message. But we have depravity deep in our bodies that is many times mostly covered up by decent circumstances. But in the right circumstances, if a person came along and did some terrible things to you, you too would be tempted to do some terrible things back. And so we have this depravity. And when you begin to understand your depravity, now you begin to see the cross differently. Because no longer are you viewing the cross as, thanks Jesus for the little boost. You start to see the cross as, I was in a burning building and Jesus rescued me. And your heart responds to the proper belief and perspective that is here. Each one of us, apart from Jesus, is desperately wicked. But with our human eyes, we just can't see this. We actually need Holy Spirit help. We need Holy Spirit help to see ourselves the way we really are. To see past the surface of all the good circumstances and some of the good deeds that we do on the surface to see where our hearts really are. And I think of Isaiah chapter 6, a famous passage we've looked at many times before, but Isaiah the prophet got a revelation like this, and I want, to, I want you to see the response of his heart when he gets his eyes open to who he really is and who God is. And when he sees the gap between those two things, you're going to see a response from his heart that is just automatic. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So he gets a revelation, first of all, of the holiness and awesomeness of God. And then he also gets a revelation at that same time of who he is in relation to that. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the, voice was, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I mean, the moment Isaiah gets a revelation of how holy God is and then sees how wicked he is, what is the automatic response? Once he sees the gap, how big the gap is there, he immediately realizes, I'm in the burning building. I'm not about to trip off the bottom step. I'm in a burning building. Woe is me. I am lost. Now here's the thing you have to understand about the prophet Isaiah. He was a prophet. He was an Old Testament prophet. This is not a bad guy. I mean, this is a guy who is 
who was zealous about the law. He would have been zealous for the Lord. He would have been big on prayer. I mean, this would have been one of those guys who's just, uh, uh, like, if he lived now in New Testament times, he would have been a Jesus freak. He would have just been on fire for the Lord. This is not a bad guy saying, woe is me, for I am lost. This is a person that would have put lots of us to shame in terms of just being zealous for the Lord and doing right in his life. And yet, the moment he sees God and sees himself, woe is me, I'm lost. If Isaiah saw that, certainly we are utterly, each one of us, lost apart from Jesus. If you can't feel that or see that, you need the Holy Spirit to open that up for you. In the very next verse after this, I don't have it on PowerPoint, but in verse 6, the interesting thing is the moment Isaiah sees the gap between him and God and says, well, me, I am lost, and, and immediately God says, now I can u- use you. Immediately, now I can use you. Who will go? And Isaiah says, send me. You want to be used by God? You have a relationship with God? It starts with understanding how much you desperately need him so you depend on him every day. And, so, and you'll know when you have that dependency on him because you will also start to have a gratitude to him for what he did for you on the cross and who he is. Because you'll know how utterly uh, uh, wicked you are apart from him. But apart from a Holy Spirit revelation like that for your heart, all we end up doing is playing religious games. And that is sadly where so many Christians are today. Unless we get this revelation... We live our whole lives thinking Jesus did something in here for us. Something about yay big. That's about how we feel. And if that's all you ever get, all you will ever do is play Christianity. You'll go to church every week. And depending on your personality and your upbringing, you you might check off however many other numbers of boxes of doing good. And you'll check off the box. I grew up in a family that encouraged me to serve, so I check off serving. I volunteer in the church. I went to a family of this, I check off this, I check off this. And according to how healthy or good we are and nice in our personality, we play the Christian game, we go to church every week, and we believe right things up here, statements, but our heart is empty towards the Lord. And we're just like Simon. We're just playing a game. It's not real. We have no concept of what Jesus has saved us from. And so Jesus exposes Simon's heart by his lack of passion. Luke 7, 44 to 47 again. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? You gave me no water for my feet. but She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. There's no passion, no gratitude. From the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven because she Loved much. Jesus does not want a bunch of robot servants. He's not looking for people to just show up at church and do the right thing. He's looking for sons and daughters who will love him and worship him for eternity. She has been forgiven much because she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Simon, your life looks good on paper really does. And maybe you're here today and your life looks good on paper. Everybody will look at you and just think, oh yeah, he's a great Christian. She's a great Christian. Look at all the stuff she does. Look at all the stuff he does. You can have a life that looks great on paper. But inside, in the presence of Jesus, all you are is, meh. You're Simon. Meh. 
which shows it's just a game. It's not the real heart. Of course, as Christians, we think, you know, again, our tendencies, we read these stories, we go, Simon, Simon, you have no clue, right? Like, Simon, I mean, Jesus, the creator of the universe came into your house and you didn't, you didn't wash his feet, you didn't hug him, you didn't fall down and worship. How could you do it, Simon? That's how we tend to read these stories. And what we don't realize is Jesus knocks at the door of our hearts every single day. He knocks on the door of your heart and my heart every single day. Simon got one chance. You and I get visited by the creator of the universe every single day, and he says, will you listen to me? Will you pay attention to me? Will you worship me? What a privilege! Do we fall down at his feet and hang on and worship him in gratitude at that privilege? See, we're not that much different than Simon. We're really, many of us, not that different from Simon. And so I want to make this practical now. Let's bring it out of the realm of theory. And I want to, because Jesus calls out three actions in Simon that Simon didn't take. And I want us, we need to ask ourselves the question, am I Simon? Am I Simon? So here's three questions. Am I playing just a religious game or do I actually love and appreciate Jesus. So, three questions we can ask. When's the last time I brought water for Jesus' feet? When's the last time I gave Jesus a kiss? Again, we're not talking physically here. We're... When's the last time I poured ointment on Jesus' head? You say, how am I supposed to do that? Jesus isn't physical. Well, bringing water to Jesus' feet, that's just serving him. And I'm not talking here about serving in the cafe or filling a hole here at church and kidsmen every other week or whatever, that's, that's a great thing. And that's one small part of what I'm talking about, bringing water to Jesus' feet. It's a wonderful thing. And we all need to serve in the body, but that's a different message. That's what I'm talking about here. We talk about bringing water to Jesus' feet. He shows up at your door every day. He came into Simon's house once, but he shows up at your door, the door of your heart, every day. How will you respond? And he condemns Simon. He says, you brought no water for my feet. Do we bring water to his feet? Do we... Do we approach every day with the, with the posture of Jesus? Let me bring water to your feet today. How can I humbly serve you today? I'm not just talking about plugging a hole in church somewhere. That's one small piece of it. What I'm talking about is asking Jesus day after day, having this the cry of your heart. Jesus, how can I wash your feet in my workplace today? How can I wash your feet in my family today? How can I wash? Did you know, actually, see, this is, we think, oh, that seems a little freaky. That, normal Christians don't do that. You're right. You're right. Many of us, and I include myself in that, normal Christians are more like Simon than the woman. But the woman is who Jesus commends in this story. There's a whole different, it's not about just being a nice person. Jesus doesn't just want a whole bunch of nice people in church. He wants people who have a radical posture of gratitude to him and for what he's done. And out of that comes this posture of humility. Not people who are waiting. So many people are waiting to serve Jesus. Waiting for a pastor to ask them. Waiting for a spiritual gifts test. Not that it's bad to take spiritual gifts tests. Waiting for something important to come along to do for Jesus. In the meantime, they just live life. 
This woman didn't have to have a spiritual gift of washing feet in order to wash Jesus' feet. All you have to have is gratitude. All you have to do is have a little gratitude. You don't need a spiritual gift to start serving Jesus at work. Where you approach Jesus, you have saved me from so much. So today, please, I want to do at least one thing for you when I go to work today. I want to humbly serve someone, and I want to serve you through that person somehow today. That's what real Christianity looks like. When's the last time you gave Jesus a kiss or poured ointment over his head? Verses 45 and 46, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And of course, you know, some charismatic sects take this to a weird place. We're not talking about kissing Jesus physically. We're just talking about worship here. Expressions of worship. Acts of giving. You know, it's interesting that Jesus does not say to the woman, you're embarrassing me. He doesn't say to the woman, hey, tone it down. He also doesn't say to Simon. You notice this? He doesn't say to Simon, oh, you know, she's been forgiven much, so you'll just have to forgive her. That's why she's so passionate. But he, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say to Simon, hey, it's okay, Simon. You're just not as expressive a personality. She's just more expressive. That's not what he says. He accepts her worship, which is extravagant, as appropriate. Because guess what? It is appropriate to worship Jesus extravagantly. He's that amazing. And what he has done for us is that amazing. To shrug your shoulders like Simon did, that's the sin. That's missing the point. Simon looks at Jesus, the creator of the universe, and sure, he hasn't broken any of the Ten Commandments today, but in his heart, he's totally unmoved by who Jesus is. That is a major problem. Jesus is so awesome that it's actually appropriate to be passionate for him. And anything less than being passionate for him is inappropriate. It's inappropriate. He's just worthy. You think in heaven, do you think anybody in heaven, we're going to get to heaven and we're just going to go, we'll kind of get to the throne. Whew, well, there's Jesus on his throne. When do we eat? You think we're going to do that? You know, I'd rather not do the singing part, Jesus. I'm not into that singing so much. Can we get just straight to the teaching? Are you kidding me? He is so awesome that we are actually going to worship him for all of eternity. Some of you maybe don't know him enough, and that's why you dread it. But he is that amazing, and it's actually appropriate. So this woman comes, and she is extravagantly loving him, and he doesn't brush her off. He condemns Simon for his heart of just whatever. It is appropriate. Matthew 22, the greatest commandment, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Now, of course, we should acknowledge here that there are differences in personalities. Some people are less expressive. Some people are more expressive. No question about that. And, you can, and so we're not going to bring this into a judging thing, trying to look at people's lives by how expressive they are in worship or whatever and say that person loves more, that person loves less. You could have a person who is less expressive and they're singing in the worship or something. You don't know that behind the scenes, this person loves Jesus passionately and they give so much money and stuff to the kingdom and service and time that it actually hurts. I know people like that in this church. You know, you won't, they won't be at, at the front, you know, uh, you know, doing any crazy stuff in worship, 
but they are behind the scenes sacrificing huge in their lives to advance the kingdom because they love Jesus. And so certainly there's differences in expressiveness, but here's what I want to, here's where I want to really um, challenge, especially some of you guys. We've gotten into this place, a lot of people now in our culture, and we think that worship, when we get together as a church, that the worship is just sort of the warm-up and the message, that's why we come to church. Isn't that how a lot of people think? The worship is just sort of the warm-up. That's when you get your coffee, you sort of sidle in. As long as you get here in time for the message, you're fine, right? You know what the whole point of preaching and teaching is? To get your heart to a place where you actually love Jesus. The greatest commandment, the one we're going to live out for eternity, is to love Jesus. That's why he made us. He didn't, he didn't make us to be students. He made us to be worshipers. Now, we're going to learn forever, too. That's fun. But he made us to be worshipers. When the body of Christ gets together to worship, that's not just a little bonus warm-up feature. That's actually an essential component. Simon figured that was just a bonus part. Eh, good to have you here, Jesus. When are you going to start teaching us some stuff? And Jesus condemns him. He says, you did none of this. You didn't kiss me. You didn't wash my feet. This woman gets it. When you understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you, Worship is the only appropriate thing to give back. Now, okay, so worship, central. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, I said expressiveness. There's differences in expressiveness, so we're not going to judge people. But we also don't want to use that as an excuse. And I want to challenge some of you guys. Yes, it's true that some people, when it comes to worship, they just aren't that expressive, and you can have a person standing there and, and because God made music, this is one of the ways he gave us to express worship to him. And it is possible with some people, the way God made them, they'll just stand there. They're not very expressive, but inside their hearts, over, they overflow with joy and love for the Lord. Okay? The thing is, we take that person who's like that, and then a whole bunch of people come over here, and they take that as the excuse, and they say, I, have to, I don't have to express worship either because I'm just not that kind of person. But there's a difference between not being expressive but your heart overflows with love for the Lord and just not being expressive because you don't love Jesus. Jesus didn't say to Simon, hey, you're just less expressive. Don't worry about it. He says, your problem is you don't actually love me. And not loving Jesus, Jesus did not call you to be his robot servant to just show up and cross the T's and dot the I's. He called you to love him. And sometimes the thing that's carrying you say, ah, well, what? Because I'm doing all my Christian life, but why am I so dry? Part of the problem is you're missing the whole point of why Jesus made you in the first place, which is to love him. And some of you, one of the biggest things, and we're not going to make legalistic, it's not rules. How do you do this or how do you do that? How do you love Jesus more? But I bet some of you guys, to one time in worship, to humble yourself, to raise your hand to Jesus is a sign. I actually need Jesus. And you would not believe little actions like that, how the Holy Spirit can begin to minister powerfully into your life. As you recognize what it is he created you for. So I have a weekly challenge for you. Three things for this week. Very simple things. Ask Jesus this week to show you who he is and what he did for you at the cross. Just do it. It's so simple. And just sit there quietly and just let him minister to you. Does he bring you to a scripture verse? 
What does he begin to say to you? It's about him. Don't just go to him with your needs this week. Go to him and say, just show me about yourself. What do you like and what did you do for me at the cross? You need the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. So you can begin to love him. Number two, I dare you to do this one. And some of you guys will totally be chicken. And that's just what you are. You're just chicken. Just ask Jesus about your worship. Okay? Just ask him. Is there sinful pride, indifference, or hardness in my heart that is keeping me from appropriately expressing worship to you? And then ask him, give me one practical action to take to express appropriate worship to you this week. And then one last thing I would challenge you to do this week. Very simple. Just every week before you go to work, whatever it is you get up in the morning, show me one conscious, humble act I can take today to wash your feet, Jesus. Just begin to love Jesus this week. Now, some of you are sitting here today and you are performance people. And you're trying to figure out now all the different ways you're going to love Jesus more now. That's not actually the point of this message. The point of this message is your heart has to get right. Out of that comes the love. And so what you need, and what I want to pray for you now is what you need to ask Jesus for this week is, Jesus, begin to help me to see differently. Help me to see how much I need you. Help me to see how much you've done for me so that out of that, I can love you. All right? Let me pray for you, and then we'll finish with a song. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us. We apologize for how often we shrug our shoulders like Simon that you knock on the door of our heart day after day after day. And how often do we shrug our shoulders at that awesome privilege? Lord Jesus, how often is our worship pathetic with regards to what you've done for us? Lord Jesus, I pray that you begin to do a work in our hearts. Do not lay condemnation or guilt on us from this message. Rather, Lord Jesus, set for us the pathway to come to you and admit that we don't Love you enough. We don't have the right perspective. We actually need you to change it. And I thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts this week. In your name we pray. Amen.